from ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. Good evening, everyone, and welcome once again to this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I'm Bill Ritter. Our very talented Extra Time producer, Andy Savas, came up with this to sum up the month. Jack Frost is living it up January. Today, a new winter storm bringing snow and freezing temps and ice-slicked roads across the tri-state. And just days after breaking its 700-day snow drought, more flurries fell across New York City today and the tri-state. This is what it looked like today on Staten Island and in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Snow coating streets and yards. It's part of a one-two winter whammy. First, the snowfall. Next, a temperature drop. Let's get the latest on the AccuWeather forecast with Chief Meteorologist Lee Goldberg. Lee. All right, Bill. Storm making an evening exit. The accumulation even winding down in Southern Ocean County. We now pivot to the extreme cold and the icy roads. We go from flakes to frigid. The winter weather advisories are dropped for New York City and Long Island. They'll continue for another few hours over parts of New Jersey, especially Ocean County, still getting some accumulation. We had uh, five and a half inches in Whiting, New Jersey. Uh, we've had about two or three inches northern New Jersey. And New York City ranged from about an inch and a third at LaGuardia to a half inch in the Bronx and also in Manhattan, a little over an inch in Brooklyn, and actually one to two inches parts of Staten Island. We were reporting there all afternoon with eyewitnesses meteorologist Reagan Meji. Visibilities have really improved this evening. They continue to do well here with a cold northerly wind drying us out. But that north wind is gusting at 23, so it is a biting wind. There's the official snow in Central Park, just under a half an inch. So it was a coating to an inch or two from the city on north and east, and two to five inches across central and southern New Jersey with the most over Ocean County. But we did pretty well in Freehold, free too, about four inches. The dry air from the north really held off some of the high snow intensities early on in this event. And then we had a few hours midday to accumulate uh, and then you had the heavy band off to the south and that's really where the show was south of I-78 in New Jersey. Now you just have some leftover snow showers over southern ocean so the accumulation even stopping there. So this is going to taper off and end early in the evening hours then extreme cold the next 36 hours through about midday Sunday and again prepare for icy roads, sidewalks and steps. We get to tell you about a thaw next week. Winter is actually on hold. Our numbers this evening in the 20s will drop into the teens later. Final freaks between maybe 8 or 9 o'clock over coastal New Jersey. You'll start out with partly sunny skies tomorrow and it's blustery. Then we actually lose the sun for the most part. It's partly to mostly cloudy. There's a gusty wind. We're struggling to get through the low and mid-20s, even some upper teens to the north. It's just a nasty, cold, fierce day. Wind chills will start in the single digits to around 10, maybe even sub-zero far north and west. They kind of hang there for much of the day, even into Sunday morning. Wind gusts tomorrow probably in the 30, 35 mile per hour range. And I think that actually is a level we can maintain into Sunday morning, then the temperatures ease. Wind chills in the 20s never felt so good as we go through the afternoon hours with sunshine on Sunday. It's brighter. It's still very cold, though. Now, Monday, we start our thaw. We get above freezing comfortably, even upper 30s with a mix of sun and clouds. Now, that's not the warmest day next week, but it might actually be the brightest. What happens is there's a front to our north. There's a warm front on Tuesday with a rain shower in the afternoon, maybe a light wintry mix well north and west. And then we're kind of stuck within a distance of this front where you have waves of low pressure riding along it. So we're going to hang out the clouds, the occasional light shower or drizzle on Wednesday, and then better chance for a steadier period of rain Thursday and Friday of next week, even though temperatures are going to 50. It's kind of damp. 17 degrees tonight, the snow ending, clouds breaking, frigid temperatures, and the surfaces freezing tonight. The AccuWeather alert continues tomorrow for the extreme cold, 24 feeling like 10, with more clouds than sun, even a flurry north and west and a gusty wind. Tomorrow night down to 18, that biting wind continues. Here's the 7-day AccuWeather forecast. At least it's bright and sunny on Sunday. Little north 
to 30 in the afternoon hours, so we start to get less harsh. The thaw begins Monday. We're in the 40s to near 50 all next week, but each day we increase the rain chances. Some steadier periods of rain Thursday and Friday of next week. One thing is, Bill, I don't see any sustained cold coming back till early February, so the rest of January we get a break from any extreme cold or big snows. Back to you for now. All right, well, that's good to know. Okay. Sure, all right, Lee. Bye-bye. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> Whoa, that was fancy work. Uh, in the Garden State, they're keeping shovels and ice scrapers handy because flurries across New Jersey today brought a fresh coating of snow like it did in so many places, but a lot in New Jersey compared to others. Some schools had to close in Tom's River. Kids taking advantage by sledding down those hills. Now that's fun, but look at that. Frigid must uh, from the Great Falls in Patterson turned into waterfalls in a winter wonderland. And as New Jersey reporter Anthony Johnson shows us, cleanup crews are battling now to keep businesses and streets open. This has been a very fine and powdery snowfall, but for some, it's a first because we haven't seen any accumulating snow in our region over the past couple of years. So any snow gives the artist and all of us a chance to make a little winter magic. It's a nice weather. In the, this, in this free hole, I've seen the first time this, this much snow. So it's very nice. First time? Yeah, first time in the free hole, this much snow. Really? Yeah. So you're building a snow person. Yeah, just trying for that. <laughs> <laughs> so is it hard to build a snow? Yeah, we are trying, but it's getting, it's like just getting out, but we are trying to do that. Yeah. Because it's really a very light snow. Yeah, it's very light. Yeah, right. So we are just pressing it like in the hand from the hands and we are trying. Let's see. The snow has been steady throughout the day. The attention now turns to the cold temperatures as they will plummet as we get deeper into the night. We're just telling our residents, use caution when you're out there. If you don't have to be out, please don't. Uh, and be mindful as it changes over to ice uh, this evening of the very slick roadways we anticipate. Here in Monmouth County, they had over 220 trucks spreading salt and brine and also cleaning the streets. You can see down to the blacktop, but a lot of folks down here are worried as temperatures plummet tonight that all of these streets will turn to ice. From Freehold, New Jersey, Anthony Johnson, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. And as Anthony said, as Lee's been saying, after the snow comes the dangerous cold. And we invite you to stay with Eyewitness News all weekend as we track the frigid temperatures and how to stay safe. Now, to new developments this week in the Gilgo Beach serial murders and the big development, the serial killings that have mesmerized people in the tri-state area and indeed the country for more than a decade. The accused serial killer Rex Heurman this week charged in the murder of a fourth woman. The body of Maureen Brainerd Barnes found in 2010. Prosecutors just this week revealing new details about the investigation that led to these new charges. I was news reporter Josh Einiger who has covered the story since the first bodies were found. And Josh, I'm, I'm, I'm so interested in how you look at this and how you view it, something you've been covering for so long. Tell, tell folks what, you, what surprised you the most in this development now, a fourth victim with the accused killer. Bill, there were so many things that are, I find, surprising and remarkable about the news that came out earlier this week. One of them was just as a personal note, having covered this for 13 years and having been there at the very beginning when Maureen Brainerd Barnes's body was one of the first four bodies to be found. She had a sister named Melissa Can, who was a fixture of our coverage 13 years ago. This week, she was back in front of a podium speaking very emotionally as her family finally got some degree of closure with DNA technology helping close the loop on the last of the so-called Gilgo Four. 
The victims of the Gilgo Beach killer were more than victims and far more than sex workers. They were people with parents and siblings and little girls. I remember she read to me every night and now I can no longer remember the sound of her voice. Nikki Brainerd Barnes was just seven when her mom Maureen was murdered, her body covered in burlap and dumped in dense brush on this desolate barrier beach off Long Island's South Shore. Maureen was a mother of two amazing children and they will forever be without their mother. <laughs> Sorry. Maureen was my older sister who was always there for me when I needed her. Maureen was inspired to be a writer and she loved reading books. She was only 25 years old. She had her whole life ahead of her. Almost exactly 13 years since the gruesome discovery of her body and three others launched this sensational case. Prosecutors formally charged her accused killer with murder. It means a lot uh, to the task force because um, we know that it, it provides a small measure of closure for the families. Uh, and, you know, so we're really happy to provide that with, for them. Rex, did you do it? Last July, the Gilgo Beach Task Force closed in on Massapequa Park architect Rex Hewerman, charging him with three of the so-called Gilgo Four, the first sets of remains discovered along the Ocean Parkway. Brainerd Barnes is the fourth to be charged. Prosecutors say a strand of hair attached to a belt that bound her body is a DNA match with Hewerman's wife. The link from an energy drink can their daughter had on the Long Island Railroad. Court documents say undercover detectives following her recovered the can from the trash when she threw it out so they could compare familial DNA, proving the belt had come from Hewerman's house. Like in the other cases, he proclaimed his innocence. He said, I'm not guilty of these charges. He's looking forward to fight these charges, and, and we're doing that. For years, it looked like there might not be charges filed against any suspect for the murder of my mother. While the loss of my mom has been extremely painful for me, the indictment by the grand jury has brought hope for justice for my mom and my family. So that hair match that I told you about notwithstanding, Hewerman's wife, Asa Ellerup, is not implicated in this or in any of the murders. Prosecutors say, however, it became evidence that linked Hewerman to the crime scene. As for Hewerman, he's charged with these first four murders, but there are six other victims whose bodies were found along the Ocean Parkway back in 2010. Hewerman has not been linked to those cases, which Bill tonight remain unsolved. And, and you know, that's an equal, that's just very freaky, right? Yeah. There's still six people out there with no connection to a killer that have been identified. Mm -hmm. What, what, what is that Gil Gilgo's place? Is it, is it now a place where it was a killing field or at least a burial field? What is it? So it's, a, it's just a, a really desolate area in a populated, you know, Long Island is incredibly densely populated, right. but this stretch of Ocean Parkway on the southern empty. barrier beach is just empty. And it just was a very popular place, it turns out, for people to dump bodies. So, <laughs> so let's talk about the other six briefly. Yeah. The, the four that are called the Gilgo Four were the first to be found but they believe they were the last to be actually dumped, right? And so they find these first four and they start searching, are, what other bodies are here? Are there other bodies here? And they find six of them that had apparently been dumped earlier than those four, in some cases years earlier. And in some of those cases, those bodies were only partial sets of remains, right? Partial sets of remains which, um, had been found, the other parts of those people had been found elsewhere, 40 miles away. So it wasn't a big earlier. secret that this is right. a, a burying field kind of thing. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. And you it, didn't know it, about it. It isn't now. We did But among those in that crowd. Uh, I, well, look, I mean, I think if you're, if you're, if you have someone who 
you know, is a, a serial killer, right? And if you know the area, and if you have some understanding of police procedure and some understanding of what would be a good way to do this, uh, clearly they, they chose this spot. Josh, my brother, did you ever think you'd be covering a story for this many years? N there was a full circle moment, Bill, uh, on, uh, back in July when they made this arrest. It was 12 and a half years uh, since I was out there on the very first night. We were the first TV station to report this discovery in the first place. Um, and you and Liz were anchoring. Yep. And, uh, you know, we did this live shot. And 12 and a half years later, there I was on Eyewitness News at 6, and you and Liz were anchoring. And Zaheer, the producer, a longtime producer, was in the booth that, at that time as well. And it just felt incredibly surreal. And oddly, you know, we don't want to make it about ourselves, but there's something about this, you know, you do this for a living, and the longevity that we all have allows us to, to cover these stories uh, so comprehensively over so and many And then years. you see a, a daughter grown up. And exactly. We finally found exactly. a killer. Ah. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. Really, really interesting. You know, there have been so many, you know, different weaves of different things and twists and vicious turns in this investigation of the Gilgo Beach killings. Eyewitness News uh, now producing a nine-part digital series and taking a rather in-depth look at the murders and the arrests of Rex Hurman. We invite you to watch Eyewitness to Gilgo Beach. It's streaming right now at ABC 7 NY, all of our platforms. You can link to it by scanning the flow code on your screen right now, or just go to our website and you'll be able to see it as well. And we thank John, John, Josh, my great friend, John, Josh Heinecker, uh, for coming here and giving us his insight into what's going on. All right, to the other news. A new twist in the deadly shooting on the set of the movie Rust. Today, a grand jury indicted Alec Baldwin on involuntary manslaughter charges. Special prosecutors brought the case before a grand jury this week, months after receiving a new analysis of the gun that was used. Baldwin, the lead actor and co-producer of the Western, was pointing a gun at cinematographer Hylena Hutchins during a rehearsal in October 21 when the gun went off, killing her and wounding director Joel Suazo. Oh my God, it's on fire. Oh my God. Meanwhile, and switching gears, a woman reacts in horror while witnessing flames and sparks trailing from a Boeing 747 cargo jet. This is over Miami. That Atlas air flight had declared an emergency last night and was returning to Miami International Airport. We're told something just blew a small hole into one of the engines during takeoff, and that caused the sparks to fly. The cargo jet safely landed, had five people on board. The FAA and Atlas Air are now trying to figure out what went wrong. Another airplane questions for our experts. A rather tough day for workers at Sports Illustrated, the publisher laying off much of the storied magazine's entire staff. That's right, the entire staff, much of it. Unionized workers received a memo today announcing the layoffs after the magazine's license to use the iconic brand's name in print and digital was revoked. Sports Illustrated's parent company, Authentic Brands Group, says it intends to keep the SI brand going, but clearly with a lot of fewer people. Coming up next, we hand Eyewitness News over to Ryan Field, at least for extra time, for this week's edition of 7 Sports Plus after the break.
Hello and welcome to 7 Sports Plus on Extra Time. I'm Ryan Field. We'll take you behind the scenes and then some for an up-close look at the Super Bowl. We'll introduce you to an unbeaten hoop squad looking to stay that way. But first, it's time for Sports Shorts. It's an off night for the Knicks, but the Nets' West Coast swing continues tonight in L.A. against LeBron and the Lakers. Brooklyn trying to snap a four-game losing streak. Tip-off set for 10:30 on ESPN. Big news out of the NFL. The Raiders have finalized a deal with Antonio Pierce to officially be their new head coach. Pierce took over midway through the season after the team fired Josh McDaniels. The former Giants linebacker led Vegas to a 5-4 record, winning over the locker room in the process. And St. John's, St. John's looks to get back on track tomorrow after getting blown out by Seton Hall Tuesday night. Rick Pitino missed that game with COVID and now leading scorer, scorer Jordan Dingle and three assistant coaches are sick and will all miss tomorrow's showdown against number 17 Marquette at the Garden. One thing we know for sure, it's going to be fun watching things unfold in the Big East the rest of the way. I caught up with VEASAN College Hoops analyst Tim Murray to get his thoughts on what we've seen thus far. Yeah, Big East, I mean, so far this year, it's uh, it's another fun year. I mean, you, you get the return of Rick Pitino into the conference, uh, UConn coming off a national championship type of season. And, uh, you know, th there's been a couple teams that I would say have been slightly disappointing uh, to their preseason expectations. When you look at a team like Creighton uh, and, and really how they weren't all that competitive earlier this week against UConn. But, you know, for this conference, I do look at it um as as it's getting certainly stronger uh there are some terrible teams uh DePaul is just awful uh so really no ways to put around it I do think Georgetown uh it might be on the up and up here with Ed Cooley but it's gonna take some time but look you look at Shaheen Holloway and the, what he's been doing with the with Seton Hall so far this year as mentioned Rick Pitino uh Marquette I guess you could say is a little bit of a disappointment so far as they had some thoughts of maybe being a preseason top 10, top five type of team. But all in all, I mean, this is one of the best conferences in college basketball. Just look at the Ken Palm rating. I mean, they have the they are the second best conference in college basketball per, per Ken Palm uh, just behind the Big 12. So, look, uh, it's it's great to see this is a conference that has uh, been uh, born on college hoops. And uh, we're seeing it yet again this year. Where do you think Rick Pitino has made the biggest difference thus far at St. John's? I think... What you're going to see from Rick Pitino, in my opinion, uh, is is Saturday, right? This is this is why he comes to St. John's and uh, comes back to Madison Square Garden. So I think this is a big spot. Should be a really fun one. Hopefully the atmosphere is great. Uh, and I think St. John's gets a big win on Saturday. And, and we'll see if this is a team who currently is sitting, you know, at 38th in Ken Palm, uh, if, if they can make the NCAA tournament in year one of Rick Pitino uh, back in the Big East. The big story across the Hudson, Shaheen Holloway has Seton Hall atop the Big East standings. What is the ceiling, do you think, for the Pirates this season? You know, this is a team that I don't think anybody, including myself, expected this team to be 6-1 and one, uh, in the Big East like they are. Mo monster test, uh, certainly, on Saturday at home. Uh, against Creighton, where you're going to see them as a, a slight underdog. Uh, Creighton kind of licking their wounds after their loss to UConn. And then you've got Seton Hall coming off the big win over St. John's. So uh, the ceiling for, for Seton Hall, um, you know, NCAA tournament for sure. And if they can win a game, you know, currently 54th in Ken Palm, you beat St. John's. Uh, I know Rick Pitino wasn't on the sideline for that game, but still, that's a big win for Seton Hall, especially with all the buzz surrounding St. John's this year. And if they can pull off this minor upset on Saturday, boy, that would be a, a pretty big win for Coach Holloway's squad. And finally, Dan Hurley and company atop the polls during the season, UConn, for the first time since 2009. Are you buying them 
as a potential back-to-back national championship winner? There's no doubt. I mean, this is a team in UConn that is legitimate national title contender. Uh, you talk about them, North Carolina, kind of in the same breath. Uh, Purdue as well, even though obviously they've had their issues uh, in the NCAA tournament. But there, you know, this UConn team uh, justifies the means of that number one ranking. And uh, Coach Hurley, you know, coming off of the national championship and the uh, impressive dominant run that they had last year in that NCAA tournament, has done a phenomenal job to pick it up. Uh, losing some big pieces and to continue to make them a elite power in college basketball. March will be here before we know it. Still plenty more to come on 7 Sports Plus here on Extra Time. One of the best teams in college basketball, they're right here in New York City. You'll meet the top-ranked Violets when we come back. The divisional matchups are set in the NFL playoffs with the Super Bowl squarely in sight. Yes, it's the biggest stage in sports, and the Paley Museum in Midtown is taking you behind the scenes and beyond. Sam Ryan has more. As we head into the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, the remaining eight teams all with the same goal, Super Bowl 58. And while the big game is still a few weeks away and in Vegas, fans can experience everything Super Bowl right here in the Big Apple at the Paley Museum. There is something for everyone, kids of all ages and all visitors are welcome. We have all 57 Super Bowl rings. We have the actual iconic costumes that Katy Perry wore during her Super Bowl halftime performance. So much history here and just in case you didn't know back in 1969 the name was officially changed to become the Super Bowl and we all remember the Joe Namath guarantee and plenty for Jets and Giants fans featured at the Beyond the Big Game exhibit. We have LT's jersey on loan from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We have their actual Super Bowl championship rings on display. And when this Lombardi Trophy travels to Vegas this year, we have the great privilege of hosting the New York Football Giants Championship Trophy will come in its place for two weeks. Okay, so this is what they play for the coveted Lombardi Trophy. I know I'll never win it. Do you think you'll win it? But you can get your picture taken right here at the Paley Museum. Just press the button, step back, cheese. In Midtown, Sam Ryan, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. College hoop season also in full swing, and we have an unbeaten team right in our backyard. Once again, here's Sam Ryan. They are the number one ranked team in Division Three. At 14-0, the NYU women's basketball team is looking to go 15-0 to start the season for the first time since the 2014-15 season, and they know everything is clicking right now. We call ourselves a sisterhood, and I think um, the strength of this group is the strength of those that have gone before, and they're looking to carry on that tradition, and they just care so much about each other as people. It's thrilling. Last year at this time, we were in a little bit of a different situation. We started off conference one and two, so trying to um, you know use all of the expertise we have from previous years and the excitement of being 14-0 um, to just propel us forward and keep us um, building one step at a time. Yeah, I think it's exciting. I think it I think it brings us together more because, you know, we're, we're in this together. It's like a bonding experience. Um, we can lean on each other when things kind of get tough and know that the other person's kind of been through the same thing as us. To say the Violets have been dominant is an understatement. Over the last three seasons, 64 games combined thus far. They've seen only five losses, but there is one loss that stands out in their minds, and that is in the Elite Eight last year. This team looking for redemption. This this group, I think, saw themselves as a Final Four team last year, and so to be taken out on the road and to know that we have a facility where we can host this year has been a real driving force for us, and it's still one game at a time, but we're very much looking forward to continuing the journey. Just thinking about 
that that feeling that we had when we lost and just taking that into practice every day. It fuels us, I think, every day when we step out on this court. Um, when you talk about you know, team chemistry, getting that to gel really quickly, one of the main things we talk about is our goal at the end of the season, which is national championship. Sam Ryan, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. And the Violets are up right now by 20 points in the final minutes against Washington University of St. Louis. It looks like they're going to go to 15-0. and 0. That'll do it for this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Ryan Field. Make it a great weekend, friends.